The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Get healthy and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Something I learned along the way that helps me every single day is this. Do the next indicated thing. When we're trying to make a difference and make our mark, do our best by everybody and not miss out, we can get caught up in juggling commitments and trying to stretch a day that is never going to have more than 24 hours. Do the next indicated thing. It will never steer you wrong. It allows for interruptions and emergencies and life's being life. So especially for activists, for those of us who care so deeply about the suffering of others, there may be no better advice. Hi, I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan Program. And starting us off this morning, I would love to give a shout out to our sponsor for the first segment, the good people of alpineorganics.co with their two simple by vegans for vegans supplements. There's Complement, that's a spray providing vitamin B2 D3 and the fully formed omega-3 fatty acids and complement plus vegan capsules that have all these necessary nutrients plus some other vital ones, magnesium, zinc, selenium, iodine, and vitamin K2. You can trust vegan dietitian Pamela Ferguson, PhD, cardiologist Joel Kahn, MD, and the no meat athlete Matt Frazier that these are ethically sourced and carefully crafted. My hubby and I take them every single day, and you might want to too when you find out more at alpineorganics.co. And if you put Main Street Vegan in all caps in the discount box, you can get yourself some very high quality products at a more budget-friendly price. I hope you'll check them out. And how 
fun it is to be talking today with a lovely family. And I'm actually seeing the whole family. We're doing this by Skype and the video's on. So I can see this beautiful couple and their beautiful new baby. There's a teenage daughter who's off somewhere doing things that teenagers do. So I'm seeing three quarters of the family. And we're gonna be talking today about being a power couple. How much can be done for animal rights and for this world when a couple of people get together to do it? In this case, we're speaking with Amy Jean Davis, who's the founder of LA Animal Save. That's the largest group of the global animal save movement. And she was also, by the way, a top 24 finalist from American Idol season seven. That doesn't happen every day. And her other half is Sean Monson, the filmmaker behind the documentaries Earthlings and Unity and co-producer of Dominion. And the new little baby girl, nine months old, is Phoenix and uh, Sean's 18-year-old daughter, Myra, Mira, Mira, uh, just started college and she's been vegan since birth. Welcome, family. Thank you. Thank you so us. much for having us. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to be talking with you. This is the first time I've done this show and gotten to actually see a happy, bouncing baby <laughs> in front of my face. So let's start at the very beginning. How did you guys find each other? It was through activism. And uh, we highly recommend that route for finding your partner <laughs> because we need more activists in the world. But uh, we uh, initially met at the World Vegan Summit, which was in 2015, uh, and and then we kept seeing each other at different events within the animal rights community, and about a year later, uh, started actually dating, which Aww. was, yeah, it was um, quite surreal for me, just because of who Sean is, uh, having made Earthlings, and at the time, Unity uh, was about to come out, and uh, very exciting for me, <laughs> and when I when I'm out there doing my activism and I meet people who don't know that Sean's my partner, and I, I tell them, especially if it's women who really are a big fan of him, they're just like, wow, you know, they get so excited. <laughs> I love it. I love seeing their smiles, and they're just like, what? So uh, you know what's funny about that is that Earthlings is this uh, you know pretty harrowing, heavy documentary. Um, it, it, you know, it deals with how we exploit animals, and um, I'm always surprised by its, I mean, I guess awareness among activists, because when the film was first made, it was, we, we couldn't get a distributor for it. It was submitted to uh, 25 different film festivals, all of them rejected it, including documentary festivals, which I found most disturbing because I figured documentary festivals will cover everything from, you know, maybe uh, the Rolling Stones or dinosaurs or rock bands or this, that, or the other. But I figured they got to have something for the environment, something for animals, something for children. And they said no. So um, for a film like that, it's difficult to, as it is to eventually find an audience and go around the world. And then for people to seem to know who the filmmaker is as opposed to the narrator, which is a much more famous person, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, who narrated it. And I just said it always surprises me that, that would even make it that would even impress you. So I'm I'm grateful. <laughs> well, it's it's such a powerful film, and I know when I go around the country speaking and I ask what 
affected people, what brought people over always in the top five and usually in the top one or two is earthlings. And in one way, this is surprising to me because so many people say, ooh, don't show me the ugly stuff. I don't want to see it. You know that I've uh, produced Thomas Jackson's film, Prayer for Compassion, and it just has little tiny bits of that. And the only complaint we ever get is, why do you have to have that in there? And it's because it happens in the world until we recognize it and change it, we can't hide from it. And yet Earthlings, which is so full of that stuff, has probably made more vegans than any other single project that I know of. You know, you bring up an interesting point because I think a lot about this. I think about what is the most effective form of activism. I, I, I mull that over, like what works with, and with the skill set that I have for my, you know, my contribution to, to, to movement. I have no illusions about uh, something like Earthlings with that kind of footage. I, I don't kid myself for a moment. But the struggle is this. The fact that, that the single most powerful way I've found to, to help people change their mind is to show them footage. And in the same breath, it's the thing that they absolutely don't want to see. <laughs> That's a conundrum. Because So what we do is we talk about health, and we talk about the environment, we talk about statistics. And those things are very valid points. No question. But what moved me before I was vegan was I saw footage. It was just like that. I saw it and I went, that's it. I can't, I can't do it. Yes. So I've used footage as a way to reach people. But it's the, you're right, Victoria. It's, it's something people, we want to turn a blind eye to it. It's too hard to confront. So. And that's because we care. If we were all sadists anonymous, you know, we'd be saying, show us some more. Right. So we... We care, we don't want to see, but we have to see. And I'm so glad that you have have the courage to do all this beautiful work. I didn't realize that Earthlings had been turned down by all those film festivals. You reminded me of something I haven't thought of in a really long time. When I was a baby, uh, I mean, what, very early in, in my vegan journey back in the 1970s and, um, Jay Dinshaw from the American Vegan Society had recommended all these books. And these were actually some books on the health side that I went to the library in Kansas City, Missouri to get. He wanted me to read some books by Dr. Herbert Shelton, like Fasting Can Save Your Life. And the librarian came back after I'd requested these books and said, these books are not allowed here. They're, they're on the danger list or something of that nature. And I was so upset and I called Jay and he said, go back to the library and ask them if they have Mein Kampf. And I've always remembered that. You know, wow. whenever we decide what people should have access to and what they shouldn't, it gets really dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those, those wow, that's, that's, a powerful, that's a powerful story. And it's real. I know that's real. People think that way. Um, I, I don't know what it is about humans that makes us not want to look at certain stuff, you know, um, it can be disruptive and it's not just maybe animals. It could be any number of issues that are disturbing. I have a sister who works for, um, OUR, which is our underground railroad. It's, uh, it, they deal with sex trafficking and, um, and rescuing kids out of all these horrible conditions. And she'd call and tell me stories and I just thought, oh my Oh my God, I can't believe the horrors in this world. But 
uh, why turn a blind eye to it? I mean, why, why not? Why we, we aren't ostriches. We don't want to stick our heads in the sand and not see what's going on. In fact, we see in 360 degrees. But some of us say, I'll just, I'll, I'll just take 90 degrees. You know, we're lucky to even do 180 degrees. I just, I just, somehow society or something in us conditions us to sort of funnel the way we, the way we want to see things. And subsequently, so then these things come along as a revelation. And then a librarian, like in your story, um, a fasting book for a fasting book to be on a danger list. Well, we've come a long way. Seventies. <laughs> yeah, we have indeed. And and thanks to both of you uh, for a lot of that. But I'm interested, Sean, in your upbringing and your parents. That you do what you do. Your sister does what she does. Your parents must have been pretty interesting, or are pretty interesting. Well, I don't know. I mean, um, we. Uh, uh, my fa- I come from a religious background. Um, uh, my family are all Mormon, and I was raised in, in that upbringing, so it was a conservative household. Um, uh, Mormons are, are Christian, so they, they follow most predominant Christian thought, and so there was that sort of element, but um, otherwise it was a traditional American home. You know, we were raised on the standard American diet, and we were interested in uh, in, in sports and movies and music and things like that, really nothing unusual there. Um, when I saw footage in the 90s, I was in my mid-20s, um, that's what woke me up. And something must have been dormant in me. I'd always loved dogs and cats, domestic animals, and just didn't know. You know, do you remember, Victoria, in the 70s, there was a commercial for McDonald's. Do you remember when they had the characters? There was Ronald McDonald, of course, but there was like the Hamburglar, and there was a tree. <laughs> there was a tree that was made of shakes or something. There was shakes, and what I remember about these commercials was that there was a burger patch. Yes. And the burger patch. The burger patch was a garden. It was literally. You remember this? It was like a garden, rows, just like in just like an agriculture, of burgers growing. And as a little kid, you're watching that, you're thinking. Oh, that's where my hamburger comes from. It comes yeah. from a garden. Yeah. You never told me when I was seven, or they never told me. But between <laughs> the sesame seed pickle bun, that whole song they had, between all that, there was a cow? There's a cow in there? Like a baby cow? Like, I never heard of it. Think how many more vegetarians or vegans may have been born earlier had they known. So that advertising and that influence, that negative influence is, it proliferates. And for whatever reason in this world, that seems to be something that we're here to overcome, discover and overcome. Yes. Well, Earthling blows the burger patch out of the water, (laughs) as as does all your other work. So, Amy, let's bring you into the conversation. From American Idol to L.A. Animal Save, what's that trajectory? Uh, well, I can say that I grew up in a small town in Indiana, and I, I never would have had the courage to move to Los Angeles had I not made it onto the American Idol show. I had one of those just small town minds that this is my life, and you know, how dare I not venture out into the big world. So I'm very grateful for the show, as scary as it was for me to do. And uh, after I got voted off, I decided to move to L.A., and and then um, 
it wasn't for a few years before I got into activism, unfortunately. I had gone vegan in 2002 uh, while I was a student at Purdue University, and I came upon a woman who was handing out Why Vegan brochures. And I had been vegetarian for about a month. And that's the moment when I learned about the dairy and the egg industry, which I never knew. I never knew cows were impregnated in order to start the, you know, and give birth and to start the lactation process. I didn't know that male chicks were ground up alive. I didn't know any of that. And I considered myself a, a fairly smart person being in, you know, the honors classes from third grade on, right? And so that's when I decided I was going to be vegan. And uh, it wasn't for 10 more years before I became an activist, which I tell people today, don't wait that long. Become an activist now. Uh, we have so much power, not only for our individual choices and how they reverberate through the world, but to influence others to make the connection and to open their eyes to the suffering and to decide to not participate in it. So um, when I, once I became active on social media, sharing things and trying to get people to see this truth, uh, that is when uh, James from Toronto Pig Save reached out to me via Twitter and asked me to come up to a vigil with, with Toronto Pig Save. This was in 2015. And um, um, I'll never forget the first moment I saw the pigs inside the truck. They looked like these big pink dogs with terror and fear in their eyes. Um, so that was a moment for me that was pivotal for my life. And then about a year later, I started LA Animal Save. Again, I should have started immediately, but being that kind of activist out in the world versus the social media activist uh, was another level for me that I, I wasn't, I was too afraid to go to. And once I finally did, I realized there was nothing to be afraid of. And for anyone listening to this now, considering to become more of an activist, just start, just start. You will find what, what works uh, for you and your strengths and what doesn't work and, and the world needs you. So um, I, I wish I had come to this a long time ago, but I'm also grateful for the journey that, that I've been on to bring me to LA, bring me to meet Sean, bring me to uh, meet the, the people, the amazing people behind the SAVE movement and to be able to have this in our community in Los Angeles where people can come down. We work with the police department. They make sure that the truck drivers don't run us over and make sure that we get our time with the pigs and we get to see these animals uh, for the individuals that they are and we get to give them water and love and and raise the awareness that these animals are no different from the dogs and cats that our culture has taught us that we love. Uh, whereas our culture has taught us that we kill and eat these other animals, but in reality, they're no different. And when you're looking at them face to face, you can't help but but be in that reality with them. It's very interesting with speciesism that even within the animal kingdom, the society regards some as almost honorary humans, at least part of the time, and then there's a hierarchy. And it seems that as we evolve past hierarchies, this has to be such an important part of it. Mm -hmm. So what does it take to be part of a SAVE group? I think most people probably listening to this show know a little bit about it, but tell us what you guys do and how someone could be part of that. 
Well, we want more people to join us. So uh, if you're considering it and listening in, um, it's very, very easy. Uh, you can contact the SAVE Movement. The, the website's thesavemovement.org, uh, thesavemovement.org. And uh, you can do the contact form to say, hey, I want to get involved. How can I help? And so uh, there are three, there are currently three uh, departments uh, of the SAVE Movement. One is our focus on the animals, where we hold the vigils outside slaughterhouses. One is our climate save uh, section, where we're we're doing activities to raise awareness on how animal agriculture affects the environment and climate change. And, and then there's the health save, where we raise awareness about what eating animals does to our health. So there's these three different you know, sections. And if you want to start an animal save group and hold vigils outside of a slaughterhouse, just look and see if there are slaughterhouses in your area. And if there are, see if there's already a save group there. And it's very easy, the website shows all the save groups that are currently uh, in act in action. And if there's no group, reach out and say, hey, I wanna start one and they'll get back to you and they can set you up, get you your social media pages set up and kind of guide you step-by-step step on what to do. And basically it's it's very easy. You just, you find your slaughterhouse, you go there and, and, and visit often to figure out when they bring the animals in and you take a look at the, the geography. Do you have, any sort of area where people could stand on public property in order to bear witness. And just, and if not, even if not, you go to the closest possible place in order to bear witness. And, and you just start holding regular vigils and people will come. Once they, in your area, people will come, they will show up. Now in Los Angeles, we're a city full of incredible activists. So our vigils have regularly 100, 150 people there every Sunday or Monday night, depending on the, the seasonal um, schedule. But um, you'd be surprised to see that even in small towns across the US, there are people that will come out to these vigils. And of course, the same movement's global. So we I don't even know how many groups we have now that we have the climate and the health safe groups as well. So getting involved is easy. Uh, just reach out to the SAVE movement and and we guide you from there. Oh, that's so wonderful. And I, I know you do so much in, in terms of people watching, people seeing and making that connection. And I loved how you talked about not knowing the connections about cows and calves and things like that, even though you grew up in a small town in Indiana. And I'll hear people say sometimes, well, you know, I'm from Rhode Island. I didn't know these things. Nobody knows these things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I lived among farms. I we had four. I was involved in 4-H, and yet you know I, I still didn't know this because just because I didn't actually have the cows. And now and in, even the kids that grow up in 4-H, they are with the cows. They're they're told we have to separate the, the baby from the mama. We have to. This is this is what we do. The 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 baby has a better chance of living if we separate the baby and the mama. And the mama might step on. The, I mean, it, all of the lies that are taught to these people that are actually even in the in the industry as young kids. So it doesn't matter where you grew up or what you did. There are lies that are a part of the foundation of our society because the powers that be that, that have control over how our society is structured are in the animal agriculture industry, the meat and dairy industry, the egg industry. And they have, they, they work, you know, with the medical industry and the pharmaceutical industry and our government all to have our society the way it is where they're all making money off of consumers, whether it's because we're buying the food products, food in quotes, of course, 
oh, and then we get sick and then we have to buy the surgeries and the medications. And so they're, they're, we're up against a lot and people just don't know. But thanks to people like you and having, you know, a radio show and trying to bring the truth to people, there's more change than, you know, since I've been vegan in 2002, it's happening fastest now than ever before. And I know it's just going to keep snowballing. It's, it's really, you know, an exciting time. And I have so much hope. And even at the vigils where we're face to face with chuckfuls of animals who are covered in their own feces, they're desperately thirsty and, and, and trying to suck up all the water we can give them. And they're scared. Even in that situation, I look around and I see all of these people that are there for the animals and the hope it is palpable. You can feel it, despite the the tragedy. Where, despite yeah. the tragedy. Seeing, <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, your your courage it, it's so priceless, and I think in our society, we tend to avoid being around anyone at the time of death. So many people in in this culture die alone, hospital room, nursing home, whatever. And to just be present for someone at at that time, and obviously with these animals, it's not their time to die, they are going to be killed, but just the fact that you're there giving them water, even if they only have hours left on this earth, there's just something so profound about that. And I don't know of a religion on this planet that, that doesn't have a, a, a grace and, and a of reverence for this time of, of transition. And you're doing that for these animals in, in such a beautiful way. My heart goes out to you, to Anita Krajic, who, who founded the SAVE movement. You guys are amazing. <laughs> are you proud of your partner, Sean Monson? Yeah, she's hard to keep up with, actually. <laughs> but I try. That's right. Yeah, it was nice to meet somebody who um, was a pretty, I guess, hardcore activist is a good way to word it. In fact, we were just talking about, uh, we were talking, actually, we were talking about like exes, you know, ex partners we've had. Right. And a couple, we, both of us have had ex partners who ate this way while they were with us and then sort of drifted after. And I, I think more than Amy, I, that really hurt my feelings. Like, you know, <laughs> And, and she says, oh, you're being egocentric. I said, no, 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 I don't mean it that way. I, I know you didn't mean it that way. But I, I was like, no, it's just that in that instance, it's not like something that we shared while we were together as a couple. But this, there's a third party involved. There's a whole, there's all these animals are involved. And so take me out of it, or the, the relationship ends, and to go back. And so um, we, we said, this sounds grim, but if we ever don't work out, for whatever terrible, horrible reason, there's just no doubt, no fear whatsoever that one or the other is going to like, ah, I'll stop being vegan now. I'll go back to whatever. <laughs> it's like locked in, you know? Exactly. Well, thank goodness you've at least got that. Yeah, I have a couple of those exes, one in particular that I really thought got it. And I think you don't even have to be involved with somebody, just even a friend or somebody who, who kind of drinks the Kool-Aid because you offer <laughs> and then to have them leave. Yeah, it's hard not to take personally. Well, after the break, we're going to be back and we're going to find out more about what this amazing couple is doing and how they can inspire us to do even more. Practical Spirituality 
positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. And if you're new or if you've never visited over at MainStreetVegan.net, I sure hope you will. We've got lots of stuff going on over there. And if you just sign up where it says, uh, I want to be a Main Street Vegan, then you'll get our various communications and our weekly blog, which this week is called Water, Water, Nowhere by Michelle Schaefer, a certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator. And how, you may ask, did she get to be that? Well, you can be one too, and sponsoring the second half of this program is Main Street Vegan Academy. It is so magical. It is six days in New York City, which is kind of Disneyland for vegan. I guess uh, LA and London and Tel Aviv and some other places are pretty much like that too, but New York is for sure. You come here and study with an amazing faculty, a medical doctor, a registered dietitian, a publisher, a fashion designer, animal rights attorney. You get the whole spectrum of veganism and vegan business. And we take fabulous field trips. So do check that out, uh, MainStreetVegan.net slash academy. I believe the October class is full, but there is a wait list. And then we have a class in early December and another one in the spring. So do check that out if you want to uh, up your activism and your outreach to the professional level as a certified Main Street Vegan lifestyle coach and educator. So we are back with our wonderful, wonderful family guests, um, Sean Monson and Amy Jean Davis. So I want to talk with you guys a little bit about parenting. So because there's a teenager in your life, there's an infant in your life, you're really looking at vegan parenting from a couple of angles. So tell us first, um, Amy, about your pregnancy. Did anybody give you any flack or was it clear sailing? It was clear sailing, uh, although I, I really wish I had had come in contact with some people who questioned things more um, because I... That was I was excited for that part of my pregnancy. I thought, oh, I get to educate a lot of people about being vegan and having a vegan pregnancy. Um, but I didn't I didn't get a lot of people. <laughs> I don't know if just because the people that I'm around the most are already know who I am and and the things that I know about being vegan, so they didn't want to challenge me at all. Uh, but yeah, we didn't. I didn't have a lot of people saying, oh, but don't you need to eat fish and don't you need to eat, you know, whatever, all the, all the propaganda and myths that are out there. So it was pretty clear sailing. And baby is happy. <laughs> she is so happy. She, she certainly happy. looks happy. My goodness. Uh, she, she's a, uh, she's very, very happy and um, healthy and 
just starting to play with foods. We're, we're nursing, uh, thankfully. Um, it was a hard, hard thing. And for any of the women out there that are currently expecting or, or plan to be, uh, please, please learn about breastfeeding and find a lactation consultant before you give birth so you can have somebody to go to if there are any problems. Um, for a lot of women, it can be very difficult. And for us, uh, Phoenix and I, it was very difficult at first, but we we uh, managed to succeed thank, thanks to lacta our lactation consultant, which I didn't have at first, <laughs> which is why we had so many problems, part of why we had problems longer than, than you know, I wanted though. Um, but she's a ha happy, healthy baby and Aww. and just crawling like crazy. She's nine months and um, standing as well. Uh, and yesterday she just started finally signing because we're trying to do the baby sign language and and she started signing the the sign for for milk. Oh. And <laughs> just just to give you an idea on how deep the propaganda runs in this country, the the sign for milk, meaning for her to nurse with me, is uh, you you squeeze your hand open and close like you're milking a cow. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So um, I didn't change the the hand sign because I started using it back in the beginning and and when I was you know just freshly from giving birth and and. Uh, it was very sleep deprived, so I couldn't think of a new time to use, uh, and I, and so I just used that one. And hopefully, it will be uh, a conversation opener when I'm around other non-vegan moms. But, but she start just started signing yesterday, and it's so cute. She kind of uses it for anytime she wants anything. <laughs> so, uh, we have some, uh, you know, pro room for progress there, but it's just fantastic. She's the light of my life, totally. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, I, I remember, even though my daughter is, is way grown up, that the help that I got with breastfeeding, and I got it from La Leche League, it actually made vegans too, because I'm really big on allies, and people who share some of our interests and maybe haven't gotten all the way to veganism yet, but maybe they're interested in, in natural foods, maybe they're interested in compassionate parenting. Well, it isn't very many steps from wanting to carry your baby next to your body for the first year and a half to thinking, you know, other mothers care about their babies too. And it's not just a species specific thing. Very much. And um, I've, I'm so happy to see that a lot of the moms I see in the vegan pregnancy and parenting group on Facebook, that they say, I went vegan after I had my baby because they made that exact connection then. And so, um, it is, it's a great way for, for moms to, to make that connection and just experience for the first time how, how much they want to be with their baby and how awful it is to, to imagine being separated. And as a new mom, I, I, you know, I'm experiencing the hallucinations of my baby being hurt or something. And, and, and I've had that hallucination of her being taken from me. And, and I know that these, these cows and the pigs and all, all of the animals in animal agriculture experience the same the same uh, separation but in real in real life they're they're really experiencing it and it's it takes my my sean what did you call it um tra trauma not traumatic knowledge yeah, traumatic knowledge, traumatic knowledge. It, it just added to that bank of traumatic knowledge that i have as a as a vegan activist uh connecting me with the with the maternal suffering of all of the animals 
it's no different than ours. Right. I think if there is a difference, it's that we have this intellectual capacity that, you know, if, if the baby is hospitalized or something like that, and there's this, this horrible pain of separation and fear, but we can intellectualize, the doctors are good, the, the procedure is going to work, all these things we can say to ourselves, but with animals, you know, they don't even have that comfort. All they know is the pain. And just to be able to let people know and let people know that we care, because I think some people can learn the information, but it doesn't reach their heart. But we can put it out there and just let it fall where it falls. And, and the more that we are out there uh, doing what we do and saying what we say, the more vegans there are going to be. And we're seeing that now. So, yeah, definitely. So, Sean, um, let's talk about movies. Are you working on something now? Hey, what are you? Yes. Hi. Are we disconnected? Okay. Amy, can you hear me? I'm sorry, listeners. I see them. Hi. Hello. Hi, are we back? Yeah. Yes. Great. Okay. I was just asking Sean, let's talk about movies. Are you working okay. on something now? Are you super excited about something recent? Fill us in. Yeah, I mean, I've been working on I always have a couple of things going on because in the in in the documentary space, sometimes you're waiting for life to happen. And uh, it's it's not like filming it's not always like filming a regular movie where you have a script and you have scenes to shoot each day and you have a schedule to complete. Um, I've been working on something, on two things. Um, one of them I, I started about two years ago was following people who are still actively engaged in an animal enterprise of some kind. And um, if they were willing to talk to me about what it's like to work at these places, while still working there and without betraying any confidentiality, without getting themselves in any trouble. Um, but just sort of tell their experiences or uh, an average working person. It started with a truck driver who, you know, it, this was linked to the vigils, started with a truck driver and he saw these groups of people. And this is incredible actually that someone would do this. That, and he was curious about it. He saw a couple of signs and I guess he went home and he Googled it and he came across, um, uh, the save movement and he as a driver calls himself a hog hauler and he would he would take pigs from um from the from the CAFO from the controlled animal uh feedlot operation to the slaughterhouse and he called uh he reached out he emailed a person and the, what's amazing about it is the person he emailed was a guy that I've worked with for over 15 years almost 20 years actually who gave me footage originally for earthlings his name's Brian and Brian calls me and says, hey, there's a truck driver. He's, he, I think he's got something to say. Do you want to talk to him? And I said, absolutely. So his name was Matthew. And, um, and um, I called Joaquin and I said, uh, hey, there might be a chance to interview a livestock truck driver while he's transporting pigs. Would you be interested? And, and Joaquin was about to start a movie. This was a couple of years ago. 
and his hair had been dyed for it kind of red and he said oh man i'm leaving in, in two days to go shoot this movie and i look i look really different and he goes but i'll do it i'll do it and so we met in uh we met in the desert at a truck stop and about 6 a.m this livestock truck pulled up and um i put a microphone on the driver and a microphone on joaquin and i put about six gopro cameras all around the truck and then they drove off they kept driving and this guy said some fascinating things he's not a vegan he's not an animal activist he's just a truck driver he never wanted to haul livestock but he he couldn't find any other work for a while and so he took the job transporting pigs and he said something really profound that really stuck with me and this will all come out when the movie comes out he said he thinks it's easier for a person to change their religion than change their diet which really struck me because of how deeply ingrained our food is into our um, identity, you know? And um, so that'll be an interesting interview when that comes out. And then a second person came out, you know, sort of fell from the sky. This was a slaughterhouse owner who agreed to show me around his facility, tell me what he does, where he came from. We interviewed him repeatedly. And um, a third one was a couple of chicken growers out of Arkansas. And we got to film their operations as they're as they're converting to plant-based operations. So, so it's really about overhauling some oh. of these these uh, practices. That's one project, and and then the other one is about uh, activism. It's called Saving Animals, and it's just about what's effective and what isn't. So I've been around a long time, and I've seen a lot of different approaches. And I I wonder, Victoria, if if everything we do as activists, even with the best of intentions, if it's really working, it's really saving animals. Um, you know, we show up, we have a march, maybe people chant, we bring signs, we're ticking all the boxes. Um, we spend time, money, resources, energy, and I'm just wondering if it works all the time. Because when I go like to raise money for a project, I'll meet donors or investors and, and they want to know if their money will have a maximum impact. Every thousand, every hundred, every ten thousand dollars, they want it to have maximum impact. And I thought about that with activism is what we're doing is what we're spending our time doing. Does it have a maximum impact or are we taking one step forward and two steps back? Cause sometimes these things can get hostile. People can get worked up. Are we building a wall instead of a bridge? I mean, the animals really can't afford to have us screw up in our messaging. So I'm experimenting and exploring with that. So those are two projects that I'm working on. At the moment. Oh my goodness. I can hardly wait for, each of them, it just seems so important. What do you think, in terms of the second idea, what are we doing that does work? As you just look at the world, and certainly veganism is in the news, it's all over everywhere. Uh, animal rights is a movement. People know what it is, whether they're uh, fans or not. What is working? Well, that's a, that, that's a question that, that the film will hope to answer. And here's what's tough about that. What works for some may not work for others. And so um, you have to be able to modify, I think, at each encounter. It's, it, I joke with Amy about this. It reminds me of that old movie that um, Bill Murray film, Groundhog Day, if you remember that movie, where he gets stuck in this loop of the same day over and over again. And he's kind of a jerk, you know. And by the end of the film, he's, of course, redeemed himself. I sometimes feel that way with, with, with activism because I'll encounter somebody, I'll try and approach, it'll just totally crash and burn. 
And I'll be like, note to self, that, do that doesn't work. You know, don't do that. And then other times it'll be effective. I think it's quite miraculous when two people cross paths and you may never see them again, ever, ever, ever in your life. And it's very, very important to somehow find within ourselves as activists to be as in tune as possible in that moment, always being in tune. And, and maybe it's inspirational, maybe it's coming from consciousness of the universe or God or whatever, um, whatever a person might believe in. But when you, I believe there's a path to every human heart. And if, if, if you can be intuitive with each person you meet, if you can intuit that path, hopefully you'll say the right things that'll have a positive effect. The last thing we wanna do is say something that has a negative effect. Because when we say something or do something that has a negative effect, the animals pay for it the next day, at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner. If we say something that has a positive effect or do something with a positive effect, that might make that person think twice before they do something else. You know, a little dent in the armor, just one more, little, but a positive one, you know. That was a, a, a broad answer to your question. It wasn't specific, but that's kind of what we're, what we're aiming for. There seem to be two approaches with, within this movement. One is more nurturing. Wow, you, you bought uh, coconut milk. Woohoo, good for you. And, and, and you try to be on burger and isn't it great? And the other is if you aren't going to do this perfectly, don't even bother doing it. We need you 110% or stay away. And, and so when we say let's be effective, different people are going to hear that in different ways. How, how do you see it? Do you think that there, you know, remember in the old days of computers, you'd sometimes get this message that it would say permanent fatal error. <laughs> do you think that any of this divisiveness is going to cause a permanent fatal error or that we're going to make it through and work for the animals no matter what? I hope not permanent, um, but you're right. It, it could be, and fatal is an appropriate word. It's fatal for somebody, for something, for some being out there. Um, you know, I've never known hostility to work, but there are some people probably strongly confronted by something and maybe it works. And I've used it in my footage in films. I've used this. I've not gone soft. I've really, however, um, if you're in marriage counseling or you're in therapy of any kind, two people come in and start arguing, that therapist is going to stop it right then and there because no communication is happening anymore. You know, it's going to, they're going to cut it right down. Say, stop, stop, stop. You can't come in here and yell at each other. And the walls come up and we start hurling insults at one another. It just doesn't work. We were at a we were at a vigil. Joaquin was there one night, and uh, one trucker got out. He was pretty upset. They, usually they're pretty diplomatic. They, you know, but this guy got out, and he was really, really man. He was worked up, and he came out pointing fingers, screaming, red in the face. Don't touch my truck. Don't touch my property. I mean, really belligerent. And one of the activists there was a ex-marine, passionate animal activist, and he got in this guy's face. And it was just pure, it was like a boxing match. It was like they wanted to get in the octagon. And I remember Joaquin walked over and he put his, he put his arm very gently on the activist's shoulder. Very calm, very calm um, to try to bring the volume down. Yeah, because that wasn't going to go anywhere with that guy. You know, they were going to, someone might get arrested if that keeps going the way it was headed. I understand where the hostility and the anger comes from, though, because I see that footage. You see these poor innocent animals getting crushed and killed and just murdered. It's awful. And so the natural reaction is 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 one of anger. It's completely natural. And then 
no one's listening. You know, no one seems to be listening. We're diplomatic. We ask. This is why the ALF was sort of effective there for a while. They asked nicely for years. I think Ingrid said that when she wrote about them, Ingrid Newkirk from PETA. And she said, we asked nicely for near years. No one listened. As soon as we made a threat, suddenly, suddenly everybody was paying attention. Um, civil disobedience has worked throughout history. You upset the economic system and then someone might listen, but then usually someone has to go to jail. So, but then again, that worked for Martin Luther King and Gandhi. It's a, it's a broad subject. They were fighting for animals. It was the first group of beings who couldn't fight for themselves. African-Americans were saying, hey, this is me. You're doing this to my family, my home. You know, that, that, that's what the civil rights was. Equal rights, the same thing. Um, every group, women, every group that's ever come forward to protest the way they've been treated. This is the first time we're having to do it by proxy. We're doing it for another group who simply can't speak for them, themselves. And I think it makes it that much harder. And I think that's why we need to take incredibly good care of ourselves on every level and, and keep ourselves mentally healthy more, more than a regular person, just because these other beings are counting on us. So as we wind down, I can't believe how quickly this has gone. You guys are amazing. And by the way, listeners, um, the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net, you'll have all of the URLs to find out what Amy and Sean are up to. Uh, the website for LA Animal Save is LAAnimalsave.org. That's easy. And to find out about Sean's wonderful films, NationEarth.com. So, Amy, I know that you're interested in, in something about communication and instincts. And you say that this is really good in a relationship. Well, good heavens, we're all in some kind of relationships, and we can probably all use some help. So tell us about that. Okay, yeah, I'll try and give you a quick uh, uh, summary of it. Um, this is all relationships. This is human relationships. So, it, you know, for people who are like, I'm single, I'm going to be single forever. I don't need to listen to this. It's, it's not the case. We, we're human beings. We're human animals. And for the thousands of years that we've been alive on this planet, we've had a set of instincts. Much like you see in the animals out in the world, will have their instincts to, you know, dogs will run after squirrels and cats will attack anything that moves. And so we have, we have a similar set of instincts. The problem is <clears throat> uh, we tend to trigger each other's instincts instead of uh, well, not triggering and then having empowering communication. And so I've learned uh, quite a bit about the instincts that we have, whether you're uh, a guy or a girl or somewhere in between or outside of that, um, it's all a spectrum. So you learn about the instincts and you say, oh yeah, I have that instinct, I have that instinct. And then you learn about the people around you and what instincts they have. And it allows you, instead of triggering each other, you can actually... Uh, empower the other person in communication. And I've used this at our pig vigils to um, make sure that the police officers on duty understand that my intention is respect for them and their authority and, and understand that they want us to just be safe. And so instead of me interrupting them and say, yes, we're, we're, yes, we're going to do whatever you say, or, you know, we, we, we're, um, we're happy that you're here and interrupt them to try and, uh, you know, 
barrage them with my yes, yes, yes. Instead, I wait and I allow them to talk. And then they're like, oh, she's listening to me. So she and, and they get a sense of respect instead of me triggering that I'm not actually listening to them. So it's examples like that that have allowed me to sidestep triggering other people's instincts as you know, much as I, I can. And, you know, it it's, can be a very difficult thing depending on the situation, but it allows me to sidestep triggering the instincts and, and instead have this really empowering communication. And um, I, it's, it's vital. It's absolutely vital. And it's, you know, my second most favorite thing to talk about. First mm-hmm. being anything involving veganism and second this because it allows human beings to actually really see each other for who they are instead of having these expectations or these assumptions and you should be this way, you should be that way. No, you actually get to really see them for who they are instead of, you know, bringing out the worst in them. Is there a, some sort of website or a book or something where we could learn more about this? Yeah. Um, the woman who is doing all of this research for the past 25 plus years, her name's Allison Armstrong and her website is understandmen.com. And you, you must understand that most of the women looking to to have a relationship or fix a relationship, these people, are, a lot of them are women. So in the beginning of her company, that's she used that website to draw people in, the women in, because they're like, oh, I got to find a husband, which is just crazy, right? For, I mean, if you want a husband, fine. But if you don't want a husband, also fine, right? But so understandmen.com is the website. And I highly recommend everybody to go there and start to follow her. She does free webinars. You can start to learn a little bit. But if you can take her, her webinars that, you know, cost money, life-changing. Fascinating. Well, I love everything that is life-changing. That's why I started today with do the next indicated thing, because that little tidbit has been life-changing for me. So you guys, oh my gosh, I'm so impressed. I'm so grateful for you and your work and, and just your beautiful family. Thank you so much for being on this show. Everybody check out the show notes and find out all the places where you can find and connect with these beautiful people. Next week, our very special guest is Dr. Dean Ornish. When Dr. Dean Ornish discovered back in 1990 that heart disease could be reversed, that was when nobody believed it was even possible, much less that it was only possible on a virtually vegan diet. So we're going to be talking with a legend. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Unity Online Radio. Be happy. Be healthy. Be blessed. Be vegan. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.